All right, we're good. Cameron Vandenberg, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Brett? Good, good, to, uh, good to be back on Swimming Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, man. I haven't seen much of you. What have you been up to these days? <laughs> um, yeah, just busy. I mean, um, I've uh, you know sort of left the swimming world in terms of, um, you know, I mean, in the financial world, so, you know, changed career, but still keeping, you know, fit swimming three times a week, just, you know, that's sort of the meditation and, and uh, something that I love. So it's always nice to go back and like anchor my week, anchor my thoughts on that. So I'm sort of still there in spirit and loving the sport, but I'm uh, not involved in it in terms of like coaching or, uh, or obviously competing anymore. Yeah. Now you're, you're based in London now, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. What, what are you doing over there exactly? Um, so I'm a portfolio manager at a company called Millennium. Um, mm -hmm. So we uh, we manage uh, well. We're we're obviously um, we're uh, well. Shall we say my strategy uh, is is a commodity based. So I'm a commodities commodities trader. Um, right. So obviously in this sort of point in time, it's been quite interesting because there's a lot of things that are going on. Of course, with the Russian war and the invasion, and um, you know it's quite a volatile time. So you're trying to manage that at the same time, and and you know be considerate, obviously, because it's. You know, such a difficult sort of humanitarian issue so it's uh, it's difficult to manage and yeah you you can sort of um uh you know you you you're obviously following it so closely and uh it's difficult because you know it can take quite a personal toll on you at the same time but uh, it is your job obviously as well to to manage and make money off of it so it's uh it's been interesting i mean i've heard that can be as stressful or more than kind of being an olympic swimmer at times and and and, uh, and it's super competitive from what I understand too. So what, what exactly is commodities for those who are, you know, as stupid like me? <laughs> um, well, commodities trading is effectively you're buying, uh, you know, something like oil where there's a, mm. you know, there's a, there's somebody that produces um, oil and then there's somebody that needs oil. So a refiner would buy oil. You'd have a company, a country like Saudi Arabia where they produce oil and, and they, you know, you match the two. So what we do as uh, speculators, we effectively try and, um, arbitrage and make money off the discrepancies in the market so when mm. we think that in a time like now uh, when there's war um you know likely prices are going to go up because you're paying a geopolitical premium on on top of the barrel so you know if you had gone long or bought a whole bunch of oil um you know you'd obviously be able to sell it in a forward market at a higher rate so mm. we you know that's just sort of one example but you know there's a lot of different things where we might look at you know the value of oil in one part of the world and the value of oil in another part of the world and you can then make money off the differential between the two um and then you know you cross you know you cross over into many other different products like any form of metal um, any form of petroleum obviously gasoline you know diesel as well um and then we trade things like emissions you know with um with uh you know global warming obviously that's also quite a hot topic so there's emission credits that people have to buy when you um you know you get a permit to actually emit uh, co2 that also becomes something that you can trade around and um try and again sort of uh, speculate and see what the market is doing so it's very interesting for me in terms of i've always been very interested in uh like the world and, and geopolitics and uh so it's it's fun because you know you you get to obviously learn a lot about the world and my job is kind of reading and being interesting uh or being interested in different things mm. um so yeah it's 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 and then the end of the day i think the, the the enjoyment for me a lot is that it's it's very objective just like swimming is so you know you have a profit and loss at the end of every day you're right or you're wrong um you know it's measured just like swimming is and and if you put the work in you will reap benefits so i think a lot of the cross principles from that perspective uh are very 
will have enabled me to transition very well. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's something, you know, that I love at the moment. It's obviously not uh, comparable to swimming in that sense, but it's another uh, way that I can use my skill set um, into something that I'm doing now. I could see that as, as, as you're talking, I could kind of see where your skill would fit into something like that. But I also see that in swimming as a high level performer as well, like yourself, confidence comes from come certainty almost, you know, like the, the daily trainings that you're putting in and the work that you're putting in builds a certainty so that when you stand behind the block, you know, this is what's going to happen with it within a range of a very close range. So as you're talking about the commodities, it sounds the volatility to me is, sounds like there's a lot of uncertainty. So how do you, how do you build confidence in this market? Um, you know, it's very similar to swimming. I, I, I agree in terms that it's, it's um, a series of, you know, small inputs along the way that when you string them together, it can lead to a big uh, performance or outcome. So, you know, in, in commodities trading, there might be a period where for a long, you know, a long time, there's nothing really happening. And mm -hmm. if you're not doing the work in that time, when you get to the big movement or you get to the big opportunity, you won't either A, be aware of it or B, you won't be prepared to take advantage. So um, the way that I try and see it as well, is just, I structure my day very similar to to kind of training where I get up, you know, I have certain different things that I do that I look at, like I, you know, just tick them off the box. There's certain days in the week that I do more intense, um, you know, sessions in work uh, and, and others, because I also kind of find that I need to be able to kind of have fresh eyes to look at things sometimes where if you're, if you're immersed in so much information all the time, um, you, you know, there's a lot of noise and you miss the signal. Mm. And so, you know, coming back to that swimming, uh, schedule, you you know, I'm able to you sort of systematically get through certain things that I know are important that I have to do. And then certain, you know, days where, um, you know, where you're doing a big block of work and you kind of try and switch off and you're, uh, you know, you, you, you try not to immerse yourself in, in too much information. So, you know, from that perspective, um, I think, you know, anything in life, swimming is amazing because if you can try and apply that same principle, you, you know, you, you can achieve something because it's just that sort of discipline, reliability, consistency which leads to ultimately to to results yeah i've got some questions based on that uh, it, it's a, it's a tough transition usually for swimmers you know a lot of swimmers get to the end of their career especially ones who've had the kind of longevity and success that you've had at the at the highest level world championship olympic games multiple they get to a point where they don't know what to do after swimming how are you able to figure out where you wanted to go with your life. It sounds to me like you were setting this up way before your career, your swimming career came to an end. I did, yeah, 2016 Olympics. Um, you know, I kind of sat down after it's got silver. And, um, you know, I was sort of trying to project my life, you know, forward in, in eight years time. What, you know, where would I be? What would I be doing? You know, I'm obviously getting older. Um, you know, the body's sort of, you know, not, not able to get up and, and do the same session, you know, sets that I could used to do when I was say 24. So you know, when I'm 32, when I'm, you know, 36, what am I going to feel like? What am I going to be realistically able to achieve? Um, so, you know, from the swimming perspective, I didn't feel confident enough that I was going to get there, A, but B, also I was very happy that I, you know, sort of achieved everything that I had, had set out to do in the swimming world. Um, and uh, and that sort of was the time then that I, I gave myself like a two-year period where I, I started looking, you know, at different other things. Um, I'd actually originally got into... A, a marketing role 
um, where I thought sort of, you know, okay, you know, let me not stray too far away from, from my sport. So I did mm. a sports sponsorship company um, and set that up in Cape Town, which, you know, living in Cape Town is an amazing place. And, you know, I think I had two years of, of such an, an amazing experience, you know, of, of life, if I can say, especially also coming from, you know, something you, you sacrifice so much, um, you know, that you almost don't have this kind of childhood to a certain degree. You know, your, your, your friends are all off, obviously, at university and, you know, having a really good time. And uh, yeah. so I kind of had a two-year period in Cape Town where I would say that I was, again, like I said, I was transitioning. I was still swimming, obviously, but not as seriously as what I was before, but um, also enjoying life a bit. And uh, and I got to the point where, you know, also I realized that, you know, okay, um, you know, the sort of sports sponsorship marketing wasn't necessarily for me. I missed that like I said, that objectivity and, and uh, competitiveness. Mm. And uh, in the interim and kind of looking at what I was always doing in life, um, when I was about 16 years old, I started playing these um, paper portfolios. So it's like where they give you sort of virtual money and you start trading. And um, I'd won mm. that two years in South Africa on this like schools challenge. Started trading some of that money already. Um, and then obviously from from swimming, I'd, I'd earn a bit of money and uh, was able to sort of invest uh, 90% with the professional and, and I kept 10% 10% and I was doing it myself. So um, from that perspective, it was actually pretty awesome because, you know, it was something that I, that I knew that I, I loved and I was obviously kind of also doing in the meantime. And, um, and then I moved, you know, I came over to London, spoke to a guy that I know quite well, Pierre Underan, who was my, it was the firm that I was at before hmm. and, uh, and very kindly offered me a position at, at his fund and, you know, was there for two years and, was an analyst for two years. I was a portfolio manager for one year, and then I've just moved over now to to Millennium. Wow, that's that's incredible, man! And then that's a, a great trans, transition story too. And uh, I guess if you had advice for swimmers kind of in your position now, like we're, we're coming, well, it's about you know a couple of years out of Paris, but then Paris is going to come here soon, and then there's going to be a whole new crop of people that are thinking that their time is up or it should be kind of thing, or maybe even a situation like you where they're preparing two years down the road. Um, what, what would be your best advice to, you know, swimmers like that these days? Yeah. My, my best advice I always tell, you know, tell people is, 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 yeah, project yourself sort of four or five years in the future and, you know, be realistic with yourself and see, you know, a, like, what do you, what is going to make you happy? Where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? And, you know, it takes a, it takes a lot of you know mental courage um, to be able to say, okay, you know, I've kind of come so far on this mountain, almost like you know, it's like you've climbed to the top, you know, the top of Kilimanjaro, you can't go any further. Like, where do you go? And now you've got to climb all the way back down and sort of start again. And you know, I'm I'm climbing this other mountain, but I knew that's I say when you stand up at the top of that mountain, where do you want to be? And then you you know work away, you work a plan. It's 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 something that you've done obviously from swimming. You know how to work in a four year cycle. You know, work in a four-year cycle um, or, or three years or two years or whatever you might need. Or if you don't know what you want to do, start giving yourself the room to explore, um, you know, where there might be internships, um, you know, might be taking a small job, you know, reading about a career, you know, going to going into that industry, speak to industry professionals and, and see if it's something that you want to actually do. So just, you know, expose yourself to the ideas of what is possible because, I think the worst scenario is when you are forced to retire and then you're forced into something that it's the only option at the time and then you're right. kind of not happy. And right. so the real question obviously always comes down to what is it that will make you happy? Um, and then after that, B, what is, you know, how can you find a career in that happiness realm that, that you can then 
excelling because again like you're not going to do well if you don't enjoy it you know we all know that from swimming it's it's such a tough sport but if you know if you love what you're doing you're gonna you know get up with a smile on your face and put the hard work in you're gonna excel yeah but you know also i'd say on the flip side of that is when you're in a position like you were the mentality is i'm the best and i've got to be all in physically mentally emotionally all of that so that when you start to project out maybe a little bit two years is that is that at all taking away from being all in as a professional athlete thinking of yourself as the best um wanting to stay at that level you know it is it like what i'm saying is is it a half in half out situation or can you balance it still where you can maintain that mentality of being number one it definitely does take away i would i would 100 percent say but unfortunately you know the realism of life is that we don't all have the luxury to be able to say you know i've made enough money and or whatever it might be and well i've got the support base that i can literally just end my career from one day and have a cushion of two three years and whatever happens at that point it doesn't right. matter but if you have a family you know you have responsibilities you might not have the income or the cushion it's something that unfortunately you have to do and right. and that's why i say it takes a lot of courage to do that and b it takes a lot of courage as well to you know to go and sit as you're the, the absolute best in the world at something and now you go and sit with someone that's like 10 years younger than you and they're teaching you you know like mm. you're so humbled mm. um you know and they don't care that you're an olympic champion because in that specific moment or in that industry or in your responsibility right there it it, it doesn't matter right so right. um you know the the delayment of that obviously it, like we said it's it's if you have the the um the luxury of it not you know if you have the luxury but i don't think you do and, and i think a good way to kind of discuss of how you can cushion that period is you know if you look at my performance from 2016 um you know i kind of on you know on the longer sort of um you know i cut down my training to a certain degree and and you know my hundreds obviously did sacrifice a bit you know the performance wasn't exactly there the 50s were still exceptionally good um you know i obviously come you know came from a sprinting side went up to the 100 side and then was sort of able to come back down so i think also if you're an older athlete you know you're able to rely on the muscle memory and um you know if you have a good conversation and you plan your sessions quite well you know to give you a good example you know the last what 2018 um you know i was doing, you know, swimming three times a week, gymming three times a week. Um, you know, I still went on to Commonwealth Games, got gold there with PD, you know, got bronze in the hundred, got double gold at World Champs in uh, in Shenzhen in um, in uh, in December. So it's it's a possibility to do it, obviously, mm. but you're, you know, that was kind of I was pushing the limit, like I wasn't going, and you know, the body was sore. You know, you get up, and uh, you know, at the end of, so remember the end of uh, you know racing in in China in Shenzhen uh you know the body was hurting it was it was it was not the same as what it used to be so so say it's a pay it's a, it's a trade-off but uh if if you're you know looking to do this i think uh you know it's it's something that you unfortunately need to do you know or you need to look at we individualize training in the pool so why not individualize your nutrition erica barney of barney wellness building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. 
Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Yeah, you said something interesting there about, you know, starting over again, kind of having someone 10 years younger than you, um, you know, mentoring you or, or talking to you about what the, the situation is in the new industry. I saw an interview with Grant Hackett recently, good friend of mine, you know, you know, Hacky really well, obviously, um, where he said, you know, he went from being an Olympic champion to, to going into the business arena, kind of like what you're doing. And, um, and, and his mentality was, instead of thinking the Olympic champion's coming down to business and I'm going to dominate this field, his mentality was, I'm going to be that 15-year-old again who was starting over, as has as had hopes and dreams, and, and, and all he really had was his work ethic at 15. You know, like, this is, this is who I am, this is what I believe in, this is what I stand for. And, and his work ethic got him to the point over many years to ultimately become an Olympic champion. And that's kind of the mentality he took into business. Is that something similar with you? Yeah, it's definitely. I think, you know, the the, the way that I can kind of uh, portray that art as well, and I will, I'll never forget it, is that, you know, I started racing internationally about 17, 18, and I was born in 88. And, um, you know, I'd race, you know, these guys like Oleg Lizagor and, uh, you know, you know Kitajima and Brendan Hansen, and they were born in like, Man, they were born like 78 and i was like oh my gosh these guys are <laughs> so old you know like i'm so young and obviously as the time went on you know i started you know racing other guys that were 85 83 then it became you know 88 and then you know then all of a sudden there was like this 99 you know 90 98 last part of my career um you know racing guys who were born in 2000 and i was like oh man i'm that guy <laughs> i'm the old guy now so, um so it was kind of you know the same idea exactly yeah. where you know you're heading into this new industry and i'm this i just see myself as this young guy and um you know it's it's the beauty in that obviously is that you can ask you know these really dumb questions because you're brand new in the industry that you can't ask when you're 10 years in you know um and, and and everything is just obviously interesting because you don't know everything around every corner there's something interesting or someone new to learn someone new to speak to and you know the best thing that i found is that you know people are i think coming from my from my own experience i think you know sometimes you look up at your at you know guys that might have achieved something they might be a Olympic champion and people are scared to talk to them and um you know just ask sort of a question or, or do an introduction and you know from my perspective i never felt like i was that guy or anyone that i had spoken to or any of the Olympic champions that i know others people if anyone ever you know had a question wanted some advice they were always more than willing to give that and that's the same way that i now look at um this industry where i'll just cold email or call people that are you know maybe legends in trading world and mm. i'll just you know ask them and, and nine out of ten times they pick up the phone and they'll say you know either hey um, i'm too busy right now but you know and they'll get back to you or very open and, and honest for a conversation and chat so it's um it's very much like that if you if you're willing to have that open mindset and not think that you know, you're now, like I said, the the, the the Olympic champion coming and everyone is going to run after you. Yeah. Well, just getting back to the swimming real quick, you, you did mention just a, a minute ago before we got on air about uh, the funny story that happened to you just recently. I mean, you've you've stepped back from the sport a little bit, uh, but you said you're on the pool deck the, the other day and told me something that was pretty funny. Tell, tell us about that again. Yeah, I, um, I uh, so I went out to to the Olympic Park the one day because I wanted to go and have a look at uh, obviously you know, the Olympic pool. So, and they were having a competition on, and um, the security guard wouldn't let me 
into the pool because it's sorry, you know, you don't have a, an accreditation. So, you know, fair and just. <laughs> and all these, um, you know, all these like kids that were swimming, they, you know, some of them started to recognize me and then they all started like kind of running over and trying to get a photo. And then you know, the security guard, like he doesn't know what's going on and, you know, should, should he let me in? And, you know, and then everyone's like, well, you know, like, you know, this guy's a Olympic champion. He won gold in this pool. And the security's like, but he doesn't have a tag, you know, like, what must I do? <laughs> so it was actually quite funny. And, and um, in the end, one of the referees had come over and, and like let me in, and and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to have a swim that day. I've been back, you know, at another time and had a, had a couple swims, but it's just kind of a funny funny situation where uh, you know, you're uh, you're not able to 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 uh, sort of get into the pool these days. Sometimes on certain different days. <laughs> well, it's it's understandable that you have pulled back, but how how far have you pulled back? Do you do you stay in contact with swimming at all? I mean, are you are you watching? any of the championships or did you just remove yourself completely from results? Um, I think I removed probably about for a year and, uh, but then this last year and a half, I've actually really got into it again, you know, following a lot, just down to the point of, of, you know, I think that I, you know, I, I start to see these names that I don't even know who they are, you know, like right. these young girls and young boys. And, um, you know, you, you, it was almost to the point of view, I was like, I felt out of touch with the sport. So, and that was really sad because, you know, it's something that I, I really genuinely do love and I've been in, involved for so long and it would be a pity to throw that away. So, you know, I, I did start reading a lot up again, obviously, and following sort of from the, the like semi-final through to the final, obviously, you know, of course on the Breshock side and all the way through to the other different, um, you know, strokes, but it's, it's, uh, it's something, I mean, I still swim three to four times a week, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, just, you know, it's the sport obviously is, uh, it's, you know, something where you can obviously just take your, yourself away from the stresses of whatever it might be in the, in, in the life, you know, you don't have the phone with you, you don't do anything, you know, you're, you're alone. And it's like, I love that time just being you know, yeah. sort of free and floating. Yeah. Well, mate, when I'm doing a little bit of research on you and, and breaststroke, breaststroke to me is a little bit like freestyle where it's in the last 20 years it's kind of stacked with legends you know like if i go down the, some of these names brendan hansen christian springer Brenton rickard kid Jim, obviously yourself adam pd i mean the the list goes on and on and on it there's there's just legends in in breast and it's, it's similar to freestyle if i think about freestyle in the last 20 30 years and the, and the list goes on crooked fly to me is there's a couple of people at the top obviously and it's kind of it's almost like being handed down to the next person you know like all right here's the butterfly for the five years and then it's gonna go to this person and, but breaststroke is just jam-packed I mean, did it seem that way to you at the time like every time you race it seems like there's five or six guys that could legitimately win the race or you know they're they're all big names am i am i you know interpreting that correctly Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it was a stack field. You know, to you, it's always you know very competitive, and um, you know you're obviously worried about you know all the different guys. But in my mind, I, um, I mean, it's probably an arrogant thing to say, but obviously, you know, when I was racing, I always felt like I was the only guy, and you mm. know, it was my pool. Good thing to have in terms of being confident enough to not give this like give your energy away to other people. Be confident enough to obviously you know sort of give the best performance that you have and feel emboldened and obviously feel, you know, sort of, um, so proud, well, not proud, but yeah, I can say like sort of strong to, to, to give up, to give obviously the best, you know, give, give all, give it all that you can. And then, 
in on the flip side in the training sort of feel that you are the underdog and that you need to come up and that you need to prove yourself and you need to you know always watch your back whether someone else is so i think yeah it's it's uh, and i'm sure a lot of you know great stars feel the same way that you know you, you have to have that sort of overconfidence when you get there and and, and you know be able to to pull it off but I guess yeah, that's, kind that, of... that's interesting. I want to I want to dig into that just uh, uh, for a second because it's super interesting to me because I'm I'm a coach and and I'm you know we debate this all the time. Is some is a mentality like that something that is innate or is it something that can be taught over time? Um, is it something that can be developed or is it just something that you have naturally? Um, so from your perspective, were you born with this or was this something that you felt like you you did develop? I think. Um you know, my, my, um, like it's, I think it's something that you are able to teach, um, through confidence and through like repetition. And the way that I kind of would explain it to you is that, um, I would go for instance and do training camps with, let's say someone like a Marco Koch. And Marco is an absolute animal, man. This guy's a beast in training and he would completely smash me and I would get an amazing, you know, two week camp out of it. But at the end of the two week camp, my morale would be quite broken because, you know, like in my mind, I'm the best guy in the world, you know, and, mm. you know, now this guy's like, just, you know, handing me, you know, every set, every second, like hundred meters, he's just, you know, laying it on and he can just go for days. Um, so what I would do is, is I like to train in an environment where I was, sort of more the top dog and that really would build up my my confidence and and you know um allow me to have this sort of self motivation or self feeling that i was one of the, oh i was the best in the world and it was always that in that environment so that's why i say like in season i wasn't the best racer and trainer but when i would actually be in a racing environment i always felt because i was in this coming from the training environment on my own or on a group that people weren't beating me that I had this real confidence ability to be able to perform very well. And that transferred to allow me to almost kind of have these, not a, not if I could say out of, out of body experiences, but you were able to like really elevate my performance past a certain level. Uh, Cameron, let me ask you a question on that. When would that switch that mentality? Like you, you say, you know, obviously on race day, you have this mentality that I'm un unbeatable, but in the lead up to race day, let's say at the Olympic village you get to the olympic village five days before are you having doubts still then or not doubts but i mean uh, it, you have this self-talk right this 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 talk that tells you but when does the switch happen for you obviously on race day the self-talk is i'm the best and there's nothing that's breaking that yeah. how far out does that happen for you does that happen days that out weeks out whatever like on race day morning on heats on the morning right so you wake before. up that day okay you're literally shaving the night before and you are you know, am I prepared? Am I, you know, you don't let the doubts obviously kick in too hard and, and sort of let them, you know, to the certain point of um, be the detriment of your performance. So, you know, early on in my career, I, I did have some of those times where I, I bled too much energy because I was thinking too much about that. But, you know, if you, if you have it inside and it's like a, you know, you can feel it almost on your chest. There's like this kind of pressure, but you use it in a good way. So that, would kind of almost tell my body like I was ready, gearing up for war. You know, we were getting ready, like I'm going to battle tomorrow. And it wasn't the overconfidence at that point. It was this mechanism, like I say, that my body would almost go into a super taper, if I could sort of try and put it at that point. And, you know, my taper was always incredible in terms of I 
was saying I would always listen to my body um, very well. And, you know, that's, again, it's something that you learn over time. You know, I knew exactly what I needed on the day or on the week before or on two days before or three days before. And we'd be making, you know, no taper was ever the same. It was always a bit of an you know adjustment. And as you got older, you adjusted things. But that, uh, you know, that morning of that you get up and you get to the pools, you know, that that was the time that it would just like, you know, switch. And um and it was, the, you know, the funnest times, man. Like I had the most fun racing, getting out there, you know, just having, having, uh, you know, having, uh, having it out with some of the best guys in the world. Like, I mean, what better, what better, like, can you, what more can you ask? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, that's, that's what I miss, you know, that's what I miss the most, to be honest. T tell me about that. Uh, when, when you do feel that, uh, that feeling, I mean, obviously you've, you've won multiple world championships, Olympic games, things like this. So on, on those particular instances, when you do have that win, reflecting back, um, hours before that, you have this kind of arrogance, like you said, and look, I've felt this too, believe me, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm switched on with what you're saying here. So I, I get it on race day, you, you do have this arrogance kind of thing, but how does it, how does it, how do you balance it so that it's not an over confidence, over arrogance, but you've got to have that feeling of being unbeatable. Uh, you know what I'm saying with that? I understand. I understand. I think the best, the way that I think you, I can explain it is that you stay in your lane and by that you know, you're not going in with arrogance that I'm going to beat everyone else and your your energy is focused on them. Right. The energy is focused on your lane, on you. And, you know, in my mind, I was there to race and all I was there at the World Championships and everyone else in my in the lane was just there for the ride right. kind of thing. And and so, you know, it was it would didn't matter to me if somebody was in my semifinal or not, because right. I, I was there doing my thing at the best of my ability with the most amount of confidence that I had in my ability at that time. And as I say, it didn't matter where I was placed in which seed I was in or whatever. And, and I think, you know, it can come down to, are you, you know, a tactical racer, maybe like a Chad Leclerc, where he is gauging with the field in multiple different events. And, you know, it's kind of like a marathon and, and you're, uh, you know, it's very tactical, obviously. Whereas if you're a breaststroker, you've got, you know, two events, 1500 meters and, there are only one event on a day and you go in and you know you, you stay in your lane you focus on yourself you focus on your performance and the, if you do that the performance you know the shall we say the the medals and whatever it is like those will take care of itself if you just focus on the performance and right. ensuring that you're performing vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmers catch Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout destromachines.com right i love that man that's good good advice right there um listen breaststroke is many things and it's evolved in the last 10 15 years greatly and you've been a massive contributor to this change in the way that breaststroke is swum what what's the cameron vandenberg style of breaststroke what were you trying to do at the time so when I when I kind of came around what to in in sort of 2012 was sort of my breakout obviously with with the Olympics 
Um, I think I was one of the first guys where, you know, Breshek has always, or, or at that point, Kitajima, you know, Hansen, these guys, they were all traditionally focused 200 down to the 100. So the second half of the race obviously was very strong. Um, and then you had the sprinters like me trying to kind of come up and, you know, we go up pretty hard and at 75, you die. And I think, um, you know, what I had done is really try to focus on that high frequency to try and be able to train in a certain way that I was now able to go out fast enough that the 200 guys could never catch you and then still be able to obviously make it home. And that kind of only really clicked for me in, in 20, you know, 2012. Uh, and I was able to sort of be able to finish the race in a very competitive second 50, but be able to go out really, really fast, obviously with the rest of the guys. And that was all pretty much down to trying to use a little bit less power for me. It was at the time, um, in in uh in the stroke but maintain a very high frequency mm. and so and i think you know pd took that to the next level in terms of then what he did was that we were all still kicking a, you know we were using the high frequency but we were kicking shall we say still narrow but but more normal and i think pd came along and did was able to narrow the kick even further and able to increase the frequency even further which then led to obviously this sort of really fast acceleration down to the 57 lows and 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 so on and so, um, you know, with that point, the 200 guys, it was impossible for them to now keep up for us because we were just going out so fast and still being able to maintain the speed at the end of the race. Um, and I think that's kind of the biggest change that's obviously happened. And you see now all the breaststrokers are all following the same, you know, progression. And if you're not able to keep a tempo, you know, of, of uh, you know, easily 55 to 60 strokes per minute in breaststroke, you know, you, you, you can't even think of being competitive anymore in a, in a hundred meter. Did you have an idea in your head of, okay, here's my best 50 breaststroke time. I want to be my first 50. I want to be this close to it. Like, you know, if I'm, if my best times, let's say 27 flat, I want to go out the first 50 and 27 two. So it's obviously you're just holding back slightly. Like you said, just taking a little bit of that power off, but keeping the, the tempo. Is that, is that kind of what your mentality was? Um, I, I used to be very, um, well, I, I work very closely on, on strokes. So, you know, you, as all breaststrokers, I'm sure we do, you know, you, you obviously just, you know, you're counting your strokes, but, uh, the, the tactic for me was more to, to say, all right, I'm going to go out in 18 strokes. And if I'm using my easy speed and, um, you know, I'm getting good distance per stroke. Plus, like I said, it's almost like this superpower of like you know almost like energy overconfidence and and you know you you sort of start to to be able to apply you know this 90 percent power but almost achieve like this like a 99 percent speed just through efficiency like energy you know uh, you know kind of things clicking at the right moment and the idea was that you know if you could turn out in you know 18 strokes or 19 strokes you know you i knew that i was you know going to turn the wall at 27.2 or 27.0 or 26.8 you know if i was coming in a bit quicker or slower so at the 50 meters, you know, that turn or, or even before at the flags, I already knew how many strokes I was going to turn roughly what kind of a split I was doing. And then you knew what kind of a shape or what you needed to do in able to get back in order to finish at what time. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the way that you would, or I would pace, um, my races basically on, on strokes. How would you, <clears throat> how would you train for that then? Obviously the, the style of training, is shifting around this time for for a lot of people there's a lot more kind of top end front end type training balance with that back end speed so is there any type of workouts that that you would do that 
put you in that environment that made you feel really confident? If you, if you did a bunch of these, then I knew that I was hitting my paces. Yeah, I, um, you know, I used to do, you know, um, I guess sort of on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, we used to do pretty nasty uh, lactate threshold sets. And, you know, you'd be doing, for me, obviously, at the time, I'd be doing like, you know, let's give you an example. Uh, you know, I might do something like, um, you know, three sets, three mm -hmm. big sets, broken down, three three big sets of like, it's a K, uh, you know, uh, a big block. So it was a yep. 3,000 meter breaststroke session of would be say five 200s mm -hmm. broken down into like 100 and then 250s. The 100, you know, you'd be going max sort of this easy lactate threshold and I'd be holding like long course 108 to 110 mm -hmm. um, on 150. And then the next middle 50, well, the first 50, obviously, so that would be going from the 100 to the 150 yep. that I would try and manage at like a 32. And then that would be on about a minute and then come back again in like 31, 30. So the last 50 is the replication almost of like the last 50 of 100 meters because you're, uh -huh. ha you're having this, you know, high lactate threshold 100 first go out where you're not killing yourself. Then the middle 50, which is, uh, you know, the first 50, obviously, you're going through to... Um, like managing swimming with lactate to a mm -hmm. certain degree, or right. almost trying to teach your body to swim the lactate out, but still in a pretty decent speed. Right. And then that last 50 um, is like the last 50 of 100. So you'd, you'd, you'd really try and gun and I, and I try to get down to like a 30 point, something mm. around there. And right. that would be on about a, the 130 to 145, depending on, on you know, how, you know, where you are in the season, how fit you are. So that you would do effectively five times. And that's one set and you do that whole thing three times so those three kind of times that's so you're doing three thousand breaststroke that's a lot of breaststroke bro yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean by the end of that you know if you're if you're um, you know you're able to try and maintain that kind of a, a session it gives you a lot of confidence to know that you know you, you're pretty ready to come back on that second 50 of the 100 with going out on a super high pace so yeah. Those are the kind of sets that we, you know, we used to do that, uh, yeah, was, was, was quite tough obviously, but get, it's a confidence builder. And that's that whole thing, you know, where if you put in the work and, you know, you're, uh, you're able to rely on that, you know, why would you not be confident to go into that? But then again, you know, you know to compare it, it's just on who you are as a person, Marco Koch would eat that session up, you know, and go one of fours, man. And then he'd be pushing 30 point at 30 point and, <laughs> you know, like, it's it's you know very impressive obviously but if i had to train with him every single day my confidence wouldn't be that high so it's um you know multitude of factors that, that obviously contribute to the confidence and and um yeah you know what, what, what you're capable well nothing to take away from him but i've seen this too where you have these guys that are freak trainers and it doesn't translate into them being the most dominant swimmer in the world you know for for 10 years straight i mean marco was, was competitive but he, he never, he, he doesn't have the, the resume that you have in terms of um, the medals one. So <clears throat> how is it that you have people like that and then people like you who are able to then translate it better into competitive racing? What's the difference? <laughs> and that is the million dollar question that I think every coach <laughs> wish they knew. And if you could pick that out, obviously, you know, as, as a kid at a 16 or 18 years old, you know, you'd be able to tell who was going to be the Olympic champion or not. But right. I, I can't give you the answer, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you too. I've been struggling to figure it out myself. You see it a lot, though. You do. You see, you see kids that can train. You're like, oh my god, this this guy's going to be unbeatable. And then on race day, it just doesn't come together. You just have 
I guess, you know, if you, if you look at the horse racing industry, you'd be the thoroughbred, you know, you'd be the one that on race day picks their head up and prances around the, the stadium before the race kind of thing. It's like, oh, that's the horse I want to be on today. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, you're just the racer, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I had read somewhere where, um, you know, there was like a study done and uh, I can't remember if it was on, you know, I think it was on like athletes on runners or something. And, uh, you know, they took, took uh you know like not well-known athletes and mm. um and then and also like you know like a, a handful of shall we say observers and um you know they would watch these guys you know like their um sort of how they would warm up slash or how they would come into the arena um and into the race and into the block and uh you know there was quite a high hit rate of, of something like 70 to 80 percent of selection of people that got to the podium on just purely on the confidence that they you know, exude obviously at the arena, at the, you know, um, uh, when, you know, when they'd walk out yep. for, for competition or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of, to me, like I say, it just comes back down to like, it's just this repetitive thing that you can do. And, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, a big thing where, where that build comes from, which a lot of people don't do sometimes is, you know, those Tuesday, Thursday sessions that I'd spoken about, I would treat those as like race days. So I would, you know, I would come into the pool on, on a Tuesday and a Thursday, like an hour before my session start, you know, I would do stretching, you know, abdominals, I would have eaten a really good lunch. I'd have pre-workout, man, you know, head in, you know, like mm -hmm. my mindset was like in the warm up, even in, in the stretching, you know, I wasn't like jerking around, you know, like, people yeah. were, you know, I would be still conversational, but it was quite a serious event for me. So that was almost like pre-programming into my mind at such a young age that this was like so serious that that i could draw on his confidence leading into the um the swim yeah listen man i grew up australian you're obviously south african and you know there's a there's a rivalry especially in the in the rugby side of the cricket for sure but rugby and then you know the way that i view south africans are just uh tough and gritty and gnarly type people i mean is that part of your persona, I mean, do you, do you take on that South African persona when you're racing internationally? I think so. You know, South Africans, I think, are, um, because we kind of have have a tough, not a tough, but in terms of, I think, the facilities here and, and the, you know, the funding and everything, it's not, um, you know, as optimal, I think, as a lot of other countries. You almost have to overcome a lot of different hurdles to actually get to the point where you can... You know, race on an international level like that so from that perspective it's um you know you you build a lot of character just getting there which then is able to kind of almost battle hard in you i think um you know and 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 uh enables you know kind of gives you a good solid um base to be able to work off of yeah yeah um i know you're super busy so i don't want to keep you forever but uh, i appreciate this time just to catch up um just quickly then now uh, what's your thoughts on adam Peaty these days i mean obviously he's become now the 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 guy the most dominant guy in, in breaststroke history I, I guess for now so um what's your thoughts on him and how he's doing um yeah i mean i think obviously what he's done is incredible the guys you know such an athlete and and uh you know hats off to him it's uh been kind of fun to also see him have a bit of fun with um the strictly come dancing and you know these things sort of out of the pool that i also really started to enjoy post 2016 so you know you know people forget that you know you're an athlete but you're also a human and that you have to enjoy yourself and 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 live a life so it's nice to have seen that balance um because you know, I like I said, I know how that had felt, where swimming was everything, and you have sacrificed so much, and you know, you become sort of this, um, 
you know, when a performance is poor, you know, there's so far to fall and, and people be, can be quite mean. So um, it's just nice to see him sort of taking that into yeah. his own hands and, and, and um, you know, enjoy himself. But, uh, you know, going forward, obviously, it's going to be interesting because, you know, he's he's like me, sort of getting a little bit older now. But, you know, he's got some of the younger guys like Honor coming along and swimming exceptionally well. So it's it's also nice for him because as it was nice for me to have had Adam to push me at, at the tail end of my career and have the competitive nature and competitive fight, um, you know, you appreciate your competitors after the fact, not in the fact. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, it's what makes it memorable and really fun. And, and those are the kind of battles and the, the things that, that uh, your career is made of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of last things. Um, a friend of mine and probably a mutual friend of yours, Adrian Crawford, just sent me a text and he was saying that um, he, he said, ask, ask you about passing on the kickboard to Harry. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I had this kickboard that, um, that I had literally from when I was about 12 years old. And um, it's actually quite a funny story because the, the kickboard, I went on, onto this... Um, training camp in like man this place in south africa that is like in the middle of absolutely nowhere mm. and um and there was this kit there was like these really nice kickboards so i had like the old speedo kickboard you know like the old foam ones who was like yeah yellow and black yeah and um and then there was this kickboard that i have now i think it's called eyeline and it's like super you know sort of a thick and, and quite mm. buoyant yeah and um you know man it's so much better to kick with these like thick boards you know so <laughs> i you know, i quite badly obviously at 12 years old being being a bit silly i stole this kickboard and um and then you know just from from, from the age of 12 years old that was the kickboard that i'd use for the rest of my life for every single swimming session for every single race every single warm-up every single set you know stretching wow. sessions i've had that kickboard and you know one or two times i might have um you know almost lost it at a competition and i had like <laughs> all of the meat organizers searching for this kickboard where was the sport um so it's kind of the holy grail of my career and it's something that i you know have, have held on to and still obviously have so you know harry's gonna have to work a bit harder for um for that to come to uh you know fruition that he that he's able to to use it without losing it because that's like you know the biggest thing i just don't want this thing to be lost so also harry harry wants the board but you haven't fully given it up yet <laughs> Well, I mean, I've uh, under under adult supervision. He's allowed to use it. So. Okay, right, right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, listen, um, I really enjoyed catching up with you and just getting to to know you know your life beyond swimming. So I appreciate you giving us the time today. And um, when when do you think we'll see you back around a pool again? Have they ever tried to pull you in for commentary, maybe for Paris or anything like that? Um, well, you know, I'll tell you one one last quick funny story is that um. So, you know, I'm working out obviously a lot now just, you know, because I love it still. And um, so I'm moving to this um, the suburb in London called Barnes, um, you know, uh, sort of moving out that way, you know, obviously with the kids and so on like that. Now it's, it's uh, you know, you sort of need a bit of bit more space, but it's mm. the most beautiful like sort of suburb and, you know, nice area. And, um, you know, I'm in the gym the other day in Fulham, which is another suburb, and this guy's got a top on it. It says um, Barnes Masters Swimming Club. So, you know, I go up to him and I say, oh, wow, you know, I'm moving to Barnes. That's incredible. Like, uh, you know, where do you guys train? And, and um, you know, they have a private pool at, the, you know, at the school, which is amazing because then again, like, you know, you have the facility to yourself and, you know, you're not like sharing lanes and so on. And um, so I ask him, you know, all right, well, I'd love to come, for, you, know, you know, join the team maybe because I'm going to move there. So he says, okay, well, looks at me and he says, well, he's like, yeah, you look like a strong guy. He's like, you can probably, you know, he's like, 
uh, he's like, you might be able to swim though. He's like, but you probably have to come for a trial. So, so I was like, all right, that's fine. You know, so he, he, he puts me in touch and, uh, you know, the coach, you know, messaged me back and, uh, and then afterwards I see the same guy, um, in the gym, like a week later and, and he comes to me and he's like, oh my gosh, man, I'm like the laughing stock of the squad because I feel like he's asking me to come and trial. But anyway, it's, um, you know, I think it's something that, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up and, you know, I want to, like I said, I do swim three times a week, but you know, like a thousand meters, nothing serious off the gym. But it's, uh, you know, these guys train at like eight at night. So it's obviously a little bit later. The kids are going to bed. And, um, you know, not saying that I'm going to, you know, you know, take it on full time. But it would be something that I'd love to see if I have the time to commit to. And, you know, maybe do a couple couple like masters meets for fun and just kind of stick around and, and see what it's like again. You know, so like I said, oh. one year out, it was nothing. And now it's like, you know, this kind of long lost lover that's picking my interest and um, you know, uh -oh. looking at swimming again. So nothing, uh -oh. like I said, nothing competitive, nothing. Don't think this is a comeback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cameron, Cameron, nothing competitive. And all of a sudden, Masters World Records are just dropping like flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. No, that, well, good, man. That's good. And you look super healthy. So um, that's that's good that you've kept in shape and, uh, and uh, a proud dad too. So congrats on that, man. Um, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And um, we'll stay in touch, right? Thanks a lot, Brad. Thanks for having thanks, me. Have a good one. Thanks, mate. Take care. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. There are so many things you can do with this software. A very simple and easy-to-use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.